Well, hey guys, let's get started. Let's grab a seat. Make sure you grab your Bibles. I love the sound of fellowship. It's awesome. Grab your Bibles. We have a lot we're covering tonight. It's crazy. The last few weeks I've been saying, I promise I'll go short. I promise. And I haven't gone short. Well, I'm just going to let you know, just like right off the bat, so there's no questions. Uh, I have an eight-point sermon. Uh, and I'm not even joking. I have legitimately eight points. It was a ten-point in the first draft. Uh, but I was able to combine uh, the last two into uh, one point. And so it's an eight-point sermon, though, uh, and it's really exciting. Uh, I'm super excited about it because we're back in the book of John. Okay, that was your guys' opportunity to get really excited. We're back in the book of John. Yeah, okay, our, our sermon series, I Saw the Light, we're picking back up after Christmas, after our, our messages and giving, after a few missionaries. Uh, we're back in the book of John. Uh, so for those uh, who haven't been with us in the book of John, this might be week one to you. Uh, but for those who have been with us for a while, this is week 16. And we're picking up in John chapter 6. Uh, and so we're pretty excited about what uh, the Bible has to say. That's why Bo led us in that song, I Saw the Light, brought it out of retirement. Uh, we had vowed not to do that song again. Uh, just because it gets crazy, and most of y'all are white, and you can't clap, but we're thankful that John has rhythm, and he was in the back clapping, uh, and Bo, way to do it on the speed, that was really cool, uh, but yes, we are retiring that song, at least until after our next break from the book of John, which will be in like a year, which is going to be a good time. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 6. Uh, let me see your Bibles, I want to see them, uh, that's going to come unplugged, Bo. Um, and so you're going to now have to plug it back in. Uh, it doesn't reach all the way to the table. Um, John, you want to help Bo plug the computer back in? Um, so the reason why Bo has to get the computer is because I actually have slides for you this week, uh, which for taking notes is awesome. You're still holding your Bible, bro. I love that. Um, I'm actually going to be using two Bibles tonight um, because the portion of Scripture that we're going to be reading tonight, uh, I'm not even going to do any review because we just have so much to cover. But the portion of scripture that we're reading tonight is John chapter 6. Uh, and this is a portion of scripture that many of you have probably heard and or uh, read and or the story is extremely, extremely, extremely familiar to you. Uh, this is a story where Jesus feeds 5,000. Have you Raise your hand if you've heard the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. All right, everyone, everyone's heard the story. Uh, and so it's familiar. Uh, this story is actually in all four Gospels. Uh, which is pretty sweet. If you're doing the 90-day challenge at Hillside, you just read it in Matthew uh, chapter 14. Uh, the slides are extremely awesome right now. This is not what it's normally going to look like, but we'll follow along. Uh, it's great. So what I'm going to do uh, is because it's a familiar portion of Scripture, let's be honest one with another uh, and with ourselves. Uh, when you get to a familiar portion of Scripture or a story you've heard many, many times, um, like maybe in Sunday school, like you get to the story of Jonah, you're like, yeah, I kind of know the story of Jonah, so you don't read all of the book of Jonah. Or maybe you get to like the Ten Commandments, and you're like, yeah, I know the Ten Commandments, so I don't need to read it. Maybe you get to David and Goliath, you're like, wow, that's a few chapters. I'm just gonna like kind of like skim over it because I know the general theme of the story. How many of you guys have actually ever done that before? Okay, yeah, like I think we all do that, and if we're honest, we do that. Uh, so, Jesus feeding the 5,000, if it's in all four Gospels, everyone said they had heard the story, there's a good chance that we've looked over this portion of Scripture. I, uh, uh, I like Tammy, and those of you who are doing the 90-day challenge, I just recently read this portion of Scripture. Uh, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, it's also mentioned in Mark chapter 6, it's mentioned in the book of Luke, and it's also mentioned here, John chapter 6. What we are going to do, before I dive into the sermon, is we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 40. Okay? But since most of us have heard this story before, uh, and I don't want it to be just repetition of me reading again, I'm going to do something I vowed I would never do. Uh, so I'm going to break a vow uh, from the pulpit. That's not a good thing. But I said I would never, ever, ever for a sermon, uh, read from really a different translation uh, than one that I'm used to. Uh, and so I always read from New King James. Most of you guys, if you've heard me preach or my dad preach or really like anyone preach, you've heard it from the New King James. 
Um, you probably actually, in Sunday school, you probably grew up on the New King James and you didn't even know it. Um, but we're going to read something different uh, than the New King James tonight. I'm actually going to read uh, a literal version uh, that's just like, hey, I'm taking the English and now I'm just going to make it simple for everyone to understand. Um, because I want to give you guys like a fresh, like, uh, so it doesn't sound the same as you've always heard it. The, the, the general concept is going to be the same, but I just want to like open our eyes to maybe some new insights. Because here's the thing that happens when we find a portion of scripture that we've read many, many times uh, and we kind of pass over it. How many of you guys believe the Word of God is living and active? Okay, Yeah, very much so. But when we pass over things, or when we just get into this familiar repetition of, of it, and we're just like, yeah, I've learned from it, it's great, but then we don't continue to learn from it, uh, something is wrong. Because God's Word is living and active, and it is going to give us insight every time we read it, if we are truly opening our hearts and our minds to what God's Word has to say. So if you read over a passage of Scripture that has been uh, familiar to you, and you don't learn anything new, uh, I want to challenge you to approach the portion of Scripture different, uh, with an open heart. Uh, Maybe pray going into your time of devotions, God, I know I've read this portion of Scripture before, but I know I don't understand everything there is here. So please reveal uh, some new things to me. So here we go. We're going to pick up in John chapter 6, verse 1. And it says this, After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles that they had seen him do among the sick. And when he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. And it was nearly time for the Feast of Passover, which was kept annually by the Jews. And when Jesus looked out, he saw a large crowd had arrived. And he said, Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? And he said this to stretch Philip's faith, because he already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered and said, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was actually Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, said this, there's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. And Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was a nice piece of green grass laying all around in that place. And they sat down and 5,000 of them sat that day. Then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, he gave it to those who were seated. And he did the same with the fish and all ate as much as they wanted. And when the people had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. And they went to work and filled twelve large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves and the fish. And then the people realized that God was working among them in what Jesus had done. And they said, this is the prophet for sure, God's prophet right here in Galilee. And Jesus saw in their enthusiasm, and they were about to grab him and make him their king. So he slipped off and went back up the mountain to be by himself. And in the evening, his disciples went down to the sea and got in a boat and headed back across the water to Capernaum. And it had grown quite dark, and Jesus had not yet returned. And a huge wind blew up, churning the sea. And they were maybe three or four miles out when they saw Jesus walking on the waters. And and he was quite near the boat. And they were scared senseless. But he reassured them, it's me. It's all right. Do not be afraid. So they took him on board, and in no time they reached land the exact spot in which they were headed to. The next day, the crowd that had had been left behind realized that there had been only one boat and that Jesus had gotten into it with his disciples. And they had seen him go off, and they had seen the disciples go off without him. And by now, the boats from Galilee had pulled up near where they had eaten uh, the bread and were blessed by the master. So when the crowd realized he was gone and wasn't coming back, they piled into the boats and headed for Capernaum, looking for Jesus. And when they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, You've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you and filled your stomachs. And it was for free. Don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you, the food that nourishes your lasting life. But the food that the Son of Man provides, he uh, he and what he does are not guaranteed by God the Father to last. To that they said, Well, what do we then do to get in God's good works? And Jesus said, Throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in God's works. And they wondered, Why don't you give us a clue 
about who you are. Just a hint of what's going on. And when we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves. And if you show us what we can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. And it says in the scriptures, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus responded, the real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my father is right now offering you bread from heaven, the real bread, the bread of God, which has come down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. And they jumped at that master. Give us this bread now and forever. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives to me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on to him and I do not let him go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own will, but to accomplish the will of the one who has sent me. This, in a nutshell, is that will, that everything handed over to me by my Father will be completed. Not a single detail missed. And at the wrap-up of time, I have everything and everyone put together, upright and whole. This is what my Father wants, that anyone who sees the Son and trusts who He is and what He does and then aligns with Him will enter real life, which is eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet, alive and whole at the completion of time. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You so much for Your Word. God, and we pray that as we spend these next few moments looking at what your perfect word has to say, uh, God, we pray that your word would speak to us, that your living and active word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, God, would per- pierce through, uh, God, our flesh, and it would get all the way down to our heart, uh, God, and that, that, that we would truly be changed from the inside out. God, I pray that as we study your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired, God, that your word would challenge us to live more like you, and to live more for you. God, I just pray that tonight none of these would be my words, but God, that your perfect word would speak true. Uh, God, and they, 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 if anything be of me, may it fall on deaf ears, or may I not even be able to get it out of my mouth. So God, we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So like I said, I have an eight-point sermon. and uh, But before I even get into my first point, there's a, a few bonus points, okay? Um, and they're not even on the slides, which is awesome. So it's really an eight point with bonus points. But like I said, this is a portion of Scripture that is mentioned uh, in all four Gospels. Um, we see here in verse 1, now I'm jumping back to the New King James. Uh, this is what it says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when it says after these things, uh, the book of John doesn't give us the things which had just taken place. But the Gospel of Mark does. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 32, we see that Jesus says to his disciples, Hey guys, let's go. It's getting extremely exhausting. All these people around us, let's go get some rest. Just you, me, and the beautiful outdoors. And so that's what they do. They hop in a boat and they go to the other side. But Mark's account of this says that those who are in the crowd see Jesus uh, getting in a boat and going across the sea and, and, and the sea is about four miles wide, so it's just a little boat right across. All the people are like, let's go. And they start running around the, 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 the ocean of the sea, or the ocean, the ocean beach, the, the beach. beach of the sea, not the ocean of the sea. Uh, and they start running around the beach, and they get to the other side. And when they get to the other side, they're right there waiting for Jesus. Um, so it's just kind of crazy, you know. But the, but the bonus point, and I want you guys all to take home this bonus point, uh, is this. Uh, What Jesus does here is he sets a great example for us when he says, hey, I need some time to rest. How many of you guys know life gets a little bit busy? Okay. Uh, Jesus set the example, it is okay to say, I'm going to rest, I'm going to go seclude myself, and I'm going to rest. And it's good to set these kind of times aside. Uh, The the, the style of living where you have rest is called living uh, inside the margins. Okay. And, and, And so you can live... Uh, inside the margins, which is crazy, but if you live uh, life outside the margins, you get some rest. It's great. It's super good. Uh, actually, Jesus commanded uh, us to do this uh, because Jesus is the Word. And so in the Old Testament, when we see God give the Ten Commandments, it's like Jesus telling us something to do. And he instructs Moses, hey, tell my people to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Was it so that we kept Saturday as this special day where we didn't work? No, that's not the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath 
the purpose of the Sabbath is so that we find rest and our alone time with God the Father. And so I want to encourage each and every single one of you, because when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're like, yeah, man, I definitely don't murder, I definitely don't steal, I don't commit adultery, I don't do these things, I'm not, I haven't set up idols, but so often in our Western society, the one that we really forget is the Sabbath, and it is important for you guys to set up a Sabbath. So that's the bonus point that you guys get to take home, and that you guys get to run with, and do with it what you will, but I encourage you guys to take a Sabbath all the time, or at least once a week, because that's how God set it up, so that'd be great. Jumping back, we're going to go verse by verse, because I really like going verse by verse. We have 40 verses. If I spend one minute per verse, that means it's a 40-minute sermon. I'm not going to spend one minute per verse. I'm actually going to jump a few verses, because I have all these points that are interlaid between them. So we're just going to jump now, guys, down uh, to uh, verse 3 of chapter 6. And it says, Jesus went up on the mountain... And there he sat with his disciples. And now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great multitude coming toward him. This is point number one. And point number one is this. Have eyes to see needs. Have eyes to see needs. Jesus is in a time of rest. And he separated himself from all these crowds. He's just going off to be with his disciples. And they're just hanging out. And when it says here that Jesus lifted up his eyes... Uh, I'm going to read a little bit between the lines here, okay? Um, if Jesus is going to rest, he climbs up on a shady mountain, okay? And he's just kicking it with his disciples with the sole purpose of just getting rest. I imagine, because I know how I am, and the Bible says Jesus was a man just like us, okay? Uh, if I'm going to rest and I find a nice mountain with some shade and some cool trees and everything, the first thing I'm going to do, if I've been extremely busy, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to take a nap. Okay, And so I get this picture, now this is extra biblical, so don't take this as theology, but I get this picture that Jesus is taking a nap, and then all his disciples are taking a nap also. But then maybe like Thomas, and maybe uh, Bartholomew are sleeping kind of on the outside of, of the pack, and they get woke up by the commotion of people coming up the side of the mountain, and they kind of start like waking up the other disciples, and then like one shakes Philip and says, hey, Philip, Tell John to wake up Jesus. But then Jesus being Jesus, he like can kind of sense things in his sleep. He like opens his eyes and he lifts up his eyes and he goes, oh my goodness, look at all these people. They're probably hungry. And so this is what Jesus does. He lifts up his eyes and uh, Mark's account tells us that Jesus is grieved because of their hunger. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a crazy concept. Jesus has just fled from this crowd because he's trying to get some rest. And then he wakes up or, or, or lifts up his eyes and he sees these people in the very first instance. Like, I know for me, if I saw all those people when I was just trying to rest, how many of you guys have been in a place where you're trying to rest and like you can never stop being uh, bugged, okay? And you're like, leave me alone. But Jesus, he looks up and he sees them and his first instinct, if, if you actually look at the word in the Greek for grief, I mean, it's like Jesus' like heart is crumbling inside his chest. Because he sees that this crowd is hungry. And so the, what does he do? The very next verse, it says this. He asks Philip, where shall we buy bread for these to eat? You see, Jesus Jesus has this aura about him uh, that he sees a need and he meets a need. We haven't seen him meet the need yet, but he at least inquires of a way to meet the need. And I want to encourage each and every single one of you guys tonight... The first point that we're going to take home. There's eight points. And so the first point is this. Have eyes to see needs. Because we have busy lives. You guys are going back to school. How many of you guys just started classes this week? Okay, so about like half of you, okay? Uh, the others of us, we probably have work. We have other things we're doing. Uh, life is busy. And let's be honest with ourselves. We can get very caught up in our day-to-day -day lives going from here to there, doing this and that, and we can kind of keep our eyes down, looking at our feet, making sure we're walking the right way, and we're doing all our things. we got our hands doing all our tasks, and that's all great. Maybe we're even doing that. Do everything as wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. And you're like, yeah, I'm doing this, doing this, doing this. And it's great, but if we don't lift up our eyes to see the needs, then we're not following Jesus' example to a T. Because Jesus says, Hey, there's always going to be needs. There's never going to be a shortage of needs. And he tells us as his followers to go and to meet the needs. And we have the example that Jesus gives us. He says, hey, when you have gone 
to those who are in jail, and you've given them comfort. When you've given to those who are cold, you've given them clothing. To those who are hungry, when you've given them food. He says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so I want to encourage you guys, have eyes to see needs. First and foremost, have eyes to see needs. The very next verse, verse 6, and I like it from the version that I was reading. It says, uh, Jesus asked Philip this question to stretch his faith. To stretch his faith. And that brings us to the next point. Bo, you can throw the next point up there. It said, God allows our faith to grow. I know I used a white font, and it's right in the middle of that bright light. I'm so sorry. But I'll just let you know what the second point says. It says, God allows our faith to grow. God puts situations around us. Let me rewind. There are always situations around us, and God has said, hey, see those situations and do something about it. When we live lives having eyes to see needs, God's going to allow our faith to be stretched, allow our faith to grow. It says in the New King James that he tests Philip with this. Because check this out. Philip, very easily, uh, when Jesus said, where shall we buy bread so that these may eat? Philip's just like freaking out. He's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, you want to feed them all? And he's like scrambling, scrambling, scrambling. He, goes, he like looks at the group, does a quick survey. All right, if there's like 5,000 people and we go to McDonald's, that's 5,000 chickens. Okay, that's $5,000. And he looks down at the wall and he goes, Jesus, we only got 200. We don't have enough to feed all these people. What are we going to do? And here's the thing. Jesus already knew what the answer was. See, God knows what the answer is. God knows what the solution is. But sometimes he doesn't reveal that to us because he wants us to step out in faith and act upon what we see and those needs that need to be filled. God says, I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to step out in faith and do this hand in hand with me. And when you do, you will not only bless them, but you will be blessed and I will be blessed as a result. I think it's a pretty cool situation. Then it goes on to say this. <laughs> Philip answered him, we have 200 denarii worth of, uh, and that's not enough to get enough bread for everyone. And then it works its way down to verse 8, and it says this. One of the disciples, Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother. And I just want to pause here. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to finish that verse. Um, it says, uh, Andrew says this to Jesus. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But that's not enough to feed all these many. Uh, Andrew's kind of a cool dude. Uh, you don't see Andrew mentioned a lot uh, in the New Testament. Uh, you don't see him mentioned nearly as much as like uh, John or Peter, uh, James, or any of these guys. But here's the thing. Every single time you see Andrew mentioned in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Every time Andrew is mentioned in the New Testament, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And here we have him bringing this little boy up to Jesus. And that brings us to our third point, though, which is this. Even when small, God uses our willingness to be used. Even when small, God uses our willingness to be used. So here's the thing. Andrew, he brings this little boy up to Jesus who's got his knapsack packed with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Um... I don't know the culture and the customs uh, super well about the time uh, that the, the, these folks were living. I know it pretty well. Um, but like even in America's standards, packing a lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish, that's a gnarly lunch. And so uh, that's pretty exciting to be a kid who's just loaded out on carbs and protein. Uh, and so, guys, we have, we have the biblical example to eat a lot of bread and a lot of protein. Um, no, I say that to you guys uh, as a little segue, little woohoo, uh, 90 days uh, challenge through the New Testament. At the same time we're doing that for the month of January, uh, it's prayer and fasting. So I want to encourage each and every single one of you guys set aside some time during the week to fast and to pray. Boom, back to the sermon. That's where the bread came in with the mega lunch. Okay, uh, this guy, he really doesn't have a lot. But I imagine that Andrew didn't go and kidnap this guy. Okay, like, hey, that boy's got a lunch pad. And like, go bring him up to Jesus. I imagine this kid, because Jesus says, hey, uh, 
Come unto me like the children. And like Jesus loves all the kids. I imagine this kid is like pushing his way through this crowd of 5,000, like doing this thing, because he wants to get right up to Jesus' feet. And he hears Jesus having this conversation with Philip. And then this little boy's like tugging on Andrew's coat. Hey, hey, I got some food. Could this help? And then Andrew brings him to Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, yeah, we're going to do something with that. So I want to encourage you guys. When we have eyes to see needs, When God allows our faith to grow, in our faith growing, sometimes God uses uh, our small things that we have, the things that seem insignificant. Maybe it's the talent that we have, or maybe it's this or that, but we think it's insignificant. God says, hey, regardless of how small it is, I am going to bless you, and, and because of your willingness to be used, I'm going to use you to do great things. And so this little boy is forever written in history. He's written in four Gospels as this hero of the day who has this food. And, uh, I mean, he's not the one who multiplies the food. That's Jesus. But he had the willingness to allow God to use him. And when God uses him, this boy is forever a hero of history. Here's the thing. God can use you to alter the timeline of history if you are just willing to be used. Kind of a progression. If we have eyes to see needs, God will stretch our faith. And if we are willing to be stretched, if we're willing to fulfill those needs, even in our small, God will use our willingness to be used, and he will bless us as a result. Jump down uh, to verse 13. And verse 13 says this, Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus had done, the, the, the version I used earlier said the men around it could see that God was moving through what Jesus had done. And that brings us to our fourth point. Bo, you want to throw that up there? It says, have eyes to see when Jesus moves. Because this is all great, but we can also learn from the example of those who are on the, re- the receiving side of their needs being met. Because we can see needs and meet needs and fill needs and do all that thing. But there's going to come a time in your life where you are a person who is in need of something. And with that being said, we need to have eyes to see when Jesus is moving. Why? First and foremost, so we can give thanks. Okay? But on top of all that, when we see Jesus move, we should get excited about that. And that excitement should lead to us seeing needs and filling needs. It's kind of like this circular cycle that's going on. I don't know if you could say circular cycle. That's like saying the same thing twice, but it works. But someone meets your need. You see that Jesus is moving. You get stoked about it, and you get so jacked up about it. How many of you guys have ever been like in a low situation, or you had a need, and someone's met the need, and you realize, man, God is moving. How many of you guys just got like jacked up, and you were on like this like spiritual high? You're like, I'm doing this thing now. And you're like, hey, because I've been given to, I'm going to go give. Yeah, I think that's the natural progression of things and so we need to have eyes to see when jesus is moving so then let's move down to verse 15 and i'm going to summarize kind of verses 15 through 21 Um, we see here now that jesus goes up on the hill to get his rest because his rest was interrupted and he goes up on his own And, and it starts to get dark and the disciples are like man jesus is up there doing his thing but he wants to just be left alone it's all good Let's go get on our boat. Let's cross back over to Capernaum for the night. And so they do, and they get on the boat, and the waves kind of start getting tossed around. The sea starts getting crazy, and they're like, this is messed up, all right. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they like look, and they just see like Jesus doing the whole like Chris Angel thing across the water. Like, actually, I think Chris Angel is doing the Jesus thing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so they see Jesus doing the Jesus thing, walking across the water. And this gives us just like one verse, and it's like awesome. I love it because it's, it's awesome. But if we jump over to Matthew chapter 14, and we look at the, the whole depiction of what takes place, we see that they look out and they see, oh my gosh, there's a ghost walking on the water. Terrifying. And then Peter looks a little bit closer, and he's like, guys, I, I, I think that's Jesus. And then like Peter yells out, Lord, is that you? Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, it's me. Peter's like, that's sweet. And then he's like, yo, Jesus, if you want me to come on out, just say, come on out. And Jesus is like, sure, come on out. And Peter's like, okay. And he like looks at the other disciples. I just get this like picture of mine. He looks at the other disciples, he's like, see a suckers. And he like jumps out of the boat and he legitimately starts like walking on the water. He's like, 
what? This is crazy. And then he looks over, he goes, that's a crazy wave. And then he begins to sink. And he begins to sink and sink and sink. And then he's like, Lord, help! And Jesus comes over, helps him up, pulls him out, and says, hey, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. And that brings us to the next point. I think it's point number five. It says, have faith. Because it took a lot of faith for Peter to say, yeah, I'm going to jump on the water. Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. And I think when we think about our own lives, uh, so many times Jesus said, yeah, hey, go do this thing. And we're like, all right, that's what I was asking for. But I really don't want to do it because I'm scared. I mean, it's kind of scary to do some things that we know Jesus has called us to do, but we need to do the things that he has called us to do. And we, have, and we need to have the faith to do it. And this is awesome that we have this example in Scripture because here's the thing. Peter loses sight of Jesus while doing the thing Jesus had called him to do. And I think that happens a lot in our lives. How many of you guys set great intentions? I mean, it's the beginning of 2015. We set our goals. And some of us have some goals that we've been praying about for a long time. And we're like, all right, God, you've given me this plan. I'm going to do it. And you set your eyes on Jesus. You have faith. And you're doing it. And you're going, and then it's like, oh, circumstances. Oh. And then you start losing track. And you kind of get off on your own little tangent. And we need to have those moments where we say, all right, Lord, help me. I'm off and I'm sinking. And so not only do we have to have the faith, but we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we have to be willing to say, all right, God, I need your help. Help me refocus my eyes back on you. And so for 2015, really for every year, uh, I want to encourage you guys, have faith, because that's great. We sing that song all the time. It was the number one played song of 2013 and of 2014 for Christians. Oceans, Okay. And the bridge is like, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters. Okay, it comes straight from this portion of Scripture. uh, And that should be our prayer. Hey, God, take me where I need to solely rely on you. And so I want to encourage you guys with that. That's a little bonus point there. Um, Then we see uh, verse 22. Jesus gets on the other side of the the lake, and uh, all the people wake up, and they're like, where'd Jesus go? And where'd Jesus go? I saw his disciples leave, but Jesus wasn't with them. Where'd he go? They're like, ah, well, let's just go to the other side. That's where the disciples went. Maybe Jesus took a train or something. And so they go around to the other side, and they're like, whoa, Jesus, when did you get here? And they're like, freaked out. They're like, whoa, Jesus, when did you get here? Like, why didn't you tell us you were coming this way? And Jesus says something very, uh, very poignant to these guys. He says, you come over here seeking me not because of the miracles that God was doing, but you come over here seeking me because you're hungry and I filled your empty stomachs. That brings us to the sixth point, which is this. Why do you, why do I seek Christ? Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, There are times in our lives where we seek Christ just for what He can give us. Right? Because Christ gives a lot, and they're all good things. But when we begin to seek Him just for what He can give us, rather than just for who He is and what He's doing, Jesus has that wake-up call, and He says, Hey, why on earth are you coming over here? It's definitely not because you saw God doing crazy things. It's because I filled your stomach. And though you were in need of your stomach being filled, that's great. You missed the point. The only reason I give you things, the only reason I gave gifts to you, is so that you can do the work of the Father. And so that you can do the work of Him who sent me. I want to encourage each and every single one of us, because I think this is something that plagues Christianity, especially American Christianity and especially Christianity for young people. And it's this. We tend to turn the blessing and the things that God gives us into the God rather than God himself. And we can get trapped in this convoluted Christian idolatry that we don't even know exists. Where we start seeking after the blessing rather than the blessing giver. Where we start thinking after the gift rather than the person who gave the gift. Where we start looking for opportunities to receive something from Jesus rather than just Him Himself. 
And you see it in mainstream Christianity a lot. And I'm not going to use names or churches or anything. But when you start talking about, Jesus, what can you give me to make me monetarily prosper? What can you give me to help me be a healthy person? Can I read my Bible enough to lose 50 pounds this month? I mean, these are literal things that are being taught. Prosperity gospel. No, that's not what Jesus is about. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not what Jesus is about. Those same people are the same people who say, yeah, God created us because he wanted a relationship with us. <clears throat> that is not the truth. Though that's a side effect of why he created us, the sole purpose of God creating us was not because he was lonely. But the purpose God created us for was to bring glory unto him. God created you and I to bring glory to him. And when we start getting all caught up in the glory of what we can receive rather than the glory that we can give, our priorities are out of whack. And we can find ourselves getting in this mode of, man, God's good, this is great, I got these blessings, boom, boom, boom. And our eyes start looking down and we start realizing, man, I got all these blessings, this is great. And we start forgetting the fact that there are people who are in need. And if we don't realize, and if we don't have the right reason to seek Christ, then we will not have eyes to see needs. If we don't have the right reason for seeking Christ, we will not grow in our faith. If we don't have the right reason for seeking Christ, it doesn't matter if we got the biggest thing or the smallest thing, we're not going to be used because we don't want to be used. Because we just want to be the users. Does that make sense? Rather than being the person who gets used, we are being the users and we're taking everything. If we don't have the right reason to see Christ, we're not going to see when Jesus moves all around us. We're going to be asking him, why didn't you move today? Why didn't you move today? You blessed me with this a week ago. Why don't I have that same blessing today? And we can get this very complacent and a really like, eh, not good place. But it's hard to have faith and keep our eyes on Christ when we're not even keeping our eyes on the true Christ. Because if our priorities for seeking Christ are out of whack, and the Christ that we are seeking is just the blessing rather than the blessing giver. So I think that's the sixth point. Okay, moving on. I'm getting a little bit preaching. I'm not going to stay on that one. Yeah, amen. I, I, think, I think that's good. Uh, moving on. Moving on just a little bit more. Uh, verse 27 says this. And really, um, I'm going to sum up a few points here. Um, but verse 27 says this, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. This brings us to our next point. And, uh, it, Jesus has given us bread. And the question is, are you eating that bread up? And when I say Jesus gives us bread, uh, he kind of breaks down what this bread is in the next few verses. Um, but we so often in our lives look for those blessings, look for the things that are just very surface, and we miss the fact that the greatest blessing God has given us. That's salvation. That's great. That's good. But like when we're searching for like answers, we're like, God, answer me. God, bless me. God, this. God, that. God, that. And we get our eyes focused on receiving Rather than what we've already received, we forget that God already gave us the greatest bread there is. And that's His Word. Because all the answers we need from God are already contained in His Word. The blessings that we receive are found in the pages of God's Word. And the reason why this is important, because it's always important, but the reason why I really want to like nail this one tonight because it's the beginning of the year. And I don't know each and every single one of you's personal <clears throat> lives all too well. I know mine. For the most part, I know my brothers. I think I've got a pretty good handle on my cousins, um, for the most part. I, I, I know Aaron's pretty well, just because I spent a lot of time with Aaron. Uh, I, I, I know Bo's pretty well also. Uh, but really, aside from that, I mean, like, I know what you guys, like, do... But I don't know your personal, 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 personal lives. And everyone I just said, I really don't know their personal, 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 personal lives either. When I'm saying personal, 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 I'm talking about uh, when you spend time with God each day. 
I know for me, 2014 was a great year. I had a great time. It was awesome. Was it as good as 2013? It was, it was close to the same. Was it as good as 2012? Eh, maybe. Was it as good as 2011? I don't know. If I, I mean, if I were to be truly honest with you guys, which I think is what I'm supposed to do because I'm your pastor, uh, I would have liked to have spent more time in God's Word. Uh, does that mean I didn't read the Bible? Uh, no. I, I mean, I, I read God's Word every day. Uh, but I would have liked to have spent a lot more time in God's Word. Um, I know I did at the beginning of the year, and that was great. Uh, but as the year just kept going, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to do my devotions here. I'm going to read and study for, for preparing messages and all that good stuff. But I didn't just read it to soak it up. Um, and yeah, I was picking things up and I was soaking things up along the way. Uh, but I think God calls us uh, to really pig out on His Word. Uh, like really eat His Word up. Um, because He says here, in reference to this Word, He says, if you eat this up, you will not be hungry anymore. You will not be thirsty anymore. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I know me personally. I am extremely, extremely hungry for the things of the Lord. And I am extremely, extremely thirsty for the things of the Lord. And so if I feel that thirst and that hunger within me, and then I see here that if I just saturate myself in God's Word, I won't be hungry and I won't thirst anymore, I think that means I'm not in God's Word. And I think it's a fair assessment to say uh, I don't think any of us are in God's Word enough. And I want to challenge you. Because I believe it's what Jesus wants to challenge you. I believe it's what God the Father wants to challenge you. And I think it's what the Holy Spirit is prompting me to prompt you guys so that you can then be prompted when you go home and you're laying in your bed tonight. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you remember what Matt said? You should do it. Um, I think each and every single one of us should set aside uh, for 2015 and then from the rest of our lives uh, really, really put an emphasis on your time in God's Word. Really, really really put an emphasis on your time in God's Word. And I can tell you from personal example, I can tell you from personal example, the more time you put in God's Word, the more time you begin speaking God's Word. And the more time you spend absorbing God's Word, the more time when life tends to ring you out, it's God's Word that comes out. We're supposed to be sponges. God's Word is the water. And when life comes and squeezes us up, like a sponge, when you squeeze it after it's been wet, all the water comes out. We're not supposed to be dry. Any of you ever picked up a dry sponge before? Yeah, they're disgusting. Okay? They're crusty. They stink. They're just crazy, crazy, crazy ugly. I mean, like, especially if it's been one that's been used, you're like, I think that's last night's spaghetti. Still on that thing. It's disgusting. And that's what we are like when we're not saturated in God's Word. Have you, have you ever noticed when you take that dirty sponge and then you, uh, you have like a little bowl of like water and you put the sponge in it, it's like some metamorphosis takes place. The sponge looks clean all of a sudden again and it's super absorbent and you pick it up, it's like, oh, it's squishy and nice, okay? Uh, that's what happens when you're dry, when you're dead, when you're useless because there is no use for a dry sponge in the kitchen. Except maybe to be like a paperweight. But even sponges that are dry are super light, so they blow away anyway. So there's no use for a dry sponge. And uh, you've got to saturate yourself in God's Word to be useful. There's no use when you're not in God's Word. So as a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ and you don't spend time in God's Word, what is your use? Can you truly be used if you're not saturated in His Word? Because I have a feeling that God won't set up those divine appointments for you when you're walking on the streets downtown or you're walking in the mall and there's someone who's really going through something and you haven't been saturated in God's Word. I have a very strong feeling God doesn't allow those situations to happen where you like meet that person and you're like, hey, like this, blah, 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 and you just like download just like Scripture to them because it's awesome. Because if you're not saturated in it, God's not going to waste that person's time with a useful tool. I mean, a useless tool. So I want to encourage you guys: be willing to be used and and, build, and willing to be used. Saturate yourself with God's word so that you can be the most effective tool when God uses you.
Now, all that being said, I believe all that's true, but God will still use you even when you're dry. And I just want to, I mean, if you haven't been reading your word, if you haven't spent time in prayer, if you feel like you're just dry, spiritually dry and everything, here's the thing, God still uses dead bones. And uh, I can say this unequivocally, because we have a story in the Old Testament where there's a prophet's bones in a cave. There's a sick man who goes into the cave, and he stumbles upon the bones, and he gets healed. Um, so God still uses dry bones. Uh, it just doesn't happen as much. I think when we see it in the Scripture, it happens once, but we see on every other page that someone full of the Spirit is doing the stuff. So God will use you when you're lazy, but God will use you so much more when you're purposed. Does that make sense? Awesome. Bo, do I even have another point? I think I lied when I said I had eight. And I think it might only be said, oh, yes! Yes, I did have a last point. And it's summed up uh, in verses 35 through 40. Uh, and for an eight-point sermon, guys, I just want you all to look at your watches or clocks. And this has been like a pretty solid sermon, and it's been eight points, and it's not even 8.15. 43 minutes in. I'm 43 minutes in. It's because we started worship early. <laughs> I knew this one was still long. Okay, this is what it says in verse 35. It said, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. We just talked about that. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will by no means be cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me should be, uh, all he has given me should I lose nothing, but should raise it up at that last day. And that this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and will raise up in the last day. Here's the thing. Christ's purpose for coming to earth. It all ties into everything of this. He set the example for us. And he laid the groundwork for us. But if you jump to the end of the Gospels, Jesus, and at the end of every Gospel, when he ascends to heaven, he gives us instruction. And in Matthew chapter 28, he sums it up super great. And he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Christ's purpose was that everyone who comes, everyone who sees Everyone who hears what Jesus is doing would have everlasting life. But Jesus said, it's better that I leave. And so when I think about that, I'm like, well, Jesus, you had this work that you were supposed to accomplish, but you told me it's better that you leave. But right after he says, it's better that I leave, he then tells the disciples, it's better that I leave you so that I can send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And we see that all take place in Acts chapter 2. And now the church has the Holy Spirit. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and now has given you power and has given you purpose to fulfill what Christ's purpose is here on earth. You've seen those songs uh, about being the Lord's hands and being the Lord's feet and going where he tells us. You guys remember that song from back in the early 2000s? Uh, I'm not even going to attempt to sing it. Who was it? Was it... Uh, like audio adrenaline, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what was it? Yeah, it was audio adrenaline. Look it up. YouTube it. It'll be great. Some retro early 2000s. Uh, but like, I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me. Go where you send me. Uh, and I'll try. Yeah. 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 Now you remember. There you go. Yeah. So that's like a very real thing uh, because Christ is no longer here and you are his workmanship here on earth to be the people who fulfill that mission. You bring Christ with you everywhere you go. If you've given your heart to God, you bring Christ everywhere you go. And so people will see Christ. And what does Jesus say? My will is that when people see the Son of Man and what He has done, they will have everlasting life. God wants to use you. When you bring Christ, people will hear Christ. Because if you saturate yourself, uh, saturate? Saturate yourself in God's Word. It'll, it'll ooze it's not something you want to hear from the pulpit, but God's word will ooze out of you, and people will hear it, and they'll be changed. People will see it, they'll hear it. I don't know if they'll taste it, that'd be weird. But here's the thing, God wants to use each and every single one of you, and if you have eyes to see the needs, if you allow God to stretch you and grow your faith, even when you just barely feel like you have anything, God will use your willingness to be used. If you have eyes to see when Jesus is moving, you keep your eyes on Jesus and you have faith and you seek Christ for all the right reasons, 
Jesus has given you the bread. When you eat it up and when you do those in conjunction with those things, you will be a part of fulfilling Christ's plan here on earth. Cool. That's all summed up. That's all it is. Pretty simple formula. It's really not that complex. All right. Write this down. (laughs) Totally okay to ask questions. I love it when that happens. So the formula is this. When you have eyes to see needs, God will grow your faith. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just the points. There you go. Yeah, like, boom. Yeah, that's why we're having this grow your faith challenge. It's like, let's do this thing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's summed up by that. And uh, there's a reason why I waited to the end to give the title to the message. Um, Because this is all awesome and wonderful. It's like exciting. When I think of awesome and wonderful and exciting... I don't think of Sam. Which I, I, I do think of you, Sam. You're good, yeah. uh, the first thing that popped into my mind when I thought wonderful, when I thought about bread of life, was disgusting Fran's Wonder Bread. And so that's the name of the sermon, Wonder Bread. Remember it, because it, won't, it won't get out of your mind now. Wonder Bread, and it's important for us every day. But do these things. John chapter 6. Take it, live it and let the world know. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much, God, for the opportunity that we have to truly be your hands and to be your feet. God, I just pray that as we uh, go about this new year, uh, God, that each and every single one of us would have eyes to see the needs of those around us. God, that we would see needs, that we'd be like Andrew, who every time he's mentioned, he's bringing someone to you. God, I pray that you would allow our faith to be stretched. You would allow us to grow. God, that you would test us um, so that our faith may grow. God, I pray that we would be willing to be used. God, and that when you use us, we would see you moving in our midst. God, I pray that we would have faith. Uh, God, that we would keep our eyes on you. God, I pray that we would seek you for the right reasons that we wouldn't seek you for selfish reasons, God, that we wouldn't turn your blessings and your gifts into idols, but that we would seek you rather than the gift. God, I pray that we would get a full understanding of what it means to fully digest, ingest, uh, absorb all these fancy words we could use, God, uh, for reading your word. God, I pray that your word would always be on our lips. God, and lastly, uh, God, that we would be about our Father's business. Uh, and God, that we would truly see your purpose and your will here on earth come to fruition. So God, we thank you and we praise you. Bless us as we go from this place. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.